We're on this this message that we started, uh, a theology of a good God, and realizing that a theology of knowing, believing, trusting that God is good will help us overcome the pain of delay and disappointment and sorrow and injury and loss. Knowing that God is good will help us. And having that theology fixedly framed in our hearts, I talk about this uh, in, in Restored Life or some of our circles as having green light theology. Uh, we should plow ahead for breakthrough in every area of our life unless you get a red light, right? If the Holy Spirit says, shift here, shift there, stop. But if the Holy Spirit is not giving you a red light, then guess what? You have a green light. You have a green light. You have a green light to raise the dead. You have a green light to heal the sick. You have a green light to prophesy over your life and over those around you. You have a green light in God. And it's important that we have this fixed in our hearts that God can take, and we've been talking out of the life of Joseph, that God can take the bad and bring good out of the bad, that he doesn't need everything to be good in your life, that he can actually sabotage the bad. He can sabotage Satan's plan in the bad, even if you've been part of the cause of the bad, to bring it around to produce good that God will get you to your destiny, your destination, if you will keep your heart fixed on Him. And we've been talking, and last night we introduced, last week we introduced this idea of testimony because I was thinking through the testimony of these that are featured, especially in the Old Testament, the Josephs, the Daniels, uh, those three Hebrew guys that were with them, and, and there's just on and on and on we could go with Abraham. We hear about the, the testimony of Abraham when we get over to Romans chapter 4, who, though he considered his body as good as dead, grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. This is an expression. He grew strong in faith, considering that he who made the promise was well able to perform on it. So we see this. We see that these in the Old Testament had this crazy, this bold testimony built around what God had said, what God was doing, what God had done, and it strengthened them for fulfillment. Are we running out of room already? Wow. We're going to need a bigger cross. We're going to need ten crosses. Isn't this fun? Hallelujah. Okay, so I've got a few things I want to talk to you about with the power of your testimony, because this here represents 33 testimonies, 33 breakthroughs that will actually produce a host more. These are like seeds that are sown when these testimonies, when a testimony is sown, it has the power to reproduce. Did you know your words are seeds? Your words are seeds. So as you recount what God has done, you actually activate the seed to reproduce what he's done in somebody else and in your future and in your own life. Isn't that good? Number one, I want to just go to the life of David today and talk about how a testimony is a proclamation in the face of battle. A proclamation in the face of battle. Now, typically, we might say, well, no, I thought a testimony was talking about what God has done. 
But I, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to remember. We talked last week how that the etymology of the word test and testimony come from the vial or the vessel in which an element would be put in and heated up so as to discover what the element is actually made of. And so this that we have as a testimony actually is something that we exalt to become superior, to become like superimposed over the top of every circumstance before we ever have a victory, we have a testimony. That testimony brings forth a victory. And that testimony that we have before we have a victory is a testimony of what God has done, what God has said over our lives, that, that when circumstances find us under pressure and under heat, this is what comes up. This is what bubbles up out of this vessel, out of this vial, under pressure and under heat, that God is victorious, that God will bring me through this, that God is more than enough. Yes, is that all right? So let's go to the life of David a little bit. Uh, I wanted to pick it up and just talk about uh, some of what he did because we see David, and it came to my came to my mind that this was so good because we see David when he approaches Goliath and says that he actually runs to the battle line. Contrary, maybe, to uh, 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 some uh, uh, situations or some uh, of our own pattern in the past, seeing that actually a challenge with a giant is an opportunity for a victory. And so he runs to the battle line. And this is what he declares. By the way, we know that, that Goliath, this is chapters 16 and 17 of 1 Samuel, we know that Goliath was taunting Israel, and he had done so for days. And they're in this valley that was called the Valley of Elah, and he's taunting Israel, and he's taunting the children of Israel, and, and he is essentially, he's invoking, he's doing the thing that he shouldn't do. And David knew that. And, and what a cool thing that he did. He's doing the thing that he shouldn't do. He was actually invoking the covenant promise that God declared over Abram in chapter 12, verse 3, that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. He was activating what? He was activating that curse. All at once he was setting himself up to be the enemy of God. Not the enemy of these troops, not the enemy of Israel, but the enemy of God. And so the blockade that he was setting forth, the taunting, the declaration that he was setting forth, David is hearing this, right? He comes into the camp. He's a young man. He's in his early 20s. He's the youngest of the sons of Jesse. And we don't know how far previous to this event, but previous to this event, Samuel had sought him out by the direction of the Lord, found him in Bethlehem, poured the flask of oil upon him, and he's he's now anointed, and it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. Yeah? Now that 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 would, as you begin to discover that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, that would embolden you. That there's something about my life now that's just kind of changed. Something's happened a little bit. Something's shifted. 
something about my life. How many of you could say today the Spirit of the Lord has come upon you? How many of you have broken norms in the building? I, I mean, I'm hoping that everybody in the building could say, because because we see him leaning into, this became a confidence shifter in his life. This became a confidence shifter in his life. He knew something had shifted, something had changed in his life. When the flask of oil was poured upon him, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and it became a confidence shifter in his life to where he was emboldened against things such as enemies, even the enemies of what he had been given charge of. How do we know that? Well, because when Saul says to him, are, are you sure you want to do this? I, this, this is a giant. I, I don't know if you really want to do this. David says, this will be nothing for me. Your servant has killed a lion and a bear. Any, anybody wrestled with a lion or a bear lately? We did go into a, uh, a cage with some tigers who were quite docile, and you've seen some of those pictures in Thailand. But we're talking about a lion and a bear that were probably quite hungry and looking for some flesh to eat. And David had discovered that he had a grace on him. He had a favor on him to confront those kinds of enemies and to overpower them. And so, as he begins to reflect on this giant, he's reflecting on this giant with the testimony, the testimony that was growing out of a confidence of an anointing. And he was actually putting to test that anointing through conflict. He was running to conflict, not running from. Now, I don't know where you go to get away from a lion and a bear. I'm not sure because they climb stuff. So I'm not sure, uh, but, but he, in conflict, had overcome both of those, and those entities themselves are metaphors of resistance and demonic entities and harm. And so he has overcome them, and he brings this testimony. And I'll be able to do that as well. Then when he runs to the battle line, this is what he says. David says to the Philistine, 1 Samuel 17, we're going to pick it up at 45. We should have it up on the screens if you don't have your Bible. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands." Now, you'll notice that's about a paragraph long. Most of us would have had to write something that eloquent. This comes out of his gut. This comes out of his inner man. This is like he's approaching what is the battle line, and out of his gut comes this declaration of assurance. And I, I want to encourage you that this is part of how God wants you to live. 
with regard to every one of your enemies, all of those challenges, all of those issues, all of those withstanding forces, all of those things that it just seems like whatever the Goliath is in your life, it could be sin, by the way, it could be sin, and there's a Goliath staring you down, and you can't seem to overcome it, and you've been begging God to overcome it, or you've been hoping to overcome it, you've been bringing petition to overcome it, I want to encourage you, put this kind of a declaration in your mouth. Put a declaration, a testimony that is out of the fuel, the fuel of the flask has been poured on you. God has chosen you. He pursued you. He found you. He chased you down. It wasn't an easy thing to get to Bethlehem. It wasn't an easy thing to, to, to hide essentially what God was doing. God, God shows somebody, and, and Samuel gets there, and he's like, is it this one? Is it, is it Eliab? Is it, is it this one? And God says, no, I don't look upon man like you do. I'm not looking at the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. Oh, is there one more son? Yeah, yeah there's, there's one more. Listen, God, God likes something about your heart. God likes something about your heart. He's pursued you. He's grabbed you. He's run after you. He's chosen you. He's sent Samuel to anoint you because he loves something about your heart. And he didn't do this so that you would lose, so that you would be under the Goliaths, the giants in life. He's done this that you would have power over the giants in your life. But when you face them, how do you face them? Do you have that testimony that God is with me? It is time today to forsake every, well, I wonder, well, I hope, phraseology and, 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 and verbiage and, and, and talking and testimonies. When pressure and heat come on you, woo, God will give us victory over this situation. Yes? It's a proclamation in the face of battle. It's a confrontation of our enemy. It's a, it's a verbal proclamation of assurity, assurity that we want to bring. Number two, a testimony is a proclamation after a victory. This is fun, what we're doing here today. I don't want us to forget what's going to happen over the next few weeks because this is fun, what we're doing today, because a testimony is meant to be waved in the nose of the enemy. A testimony is actually meant to lead you to your next victory. Satan is actually doing us harm. There's actually something going on with the church when we forget our breakthroughs, when we set them aside, and our memory is not working to hang on to our breakthroughs. This is a victory for the enemy because your victory with a breakthrough is actually a proclamation that is meant to go before for the next enemy, which is larger, which is bigger, which is more advanced, which will lead you into a greater place in God. This is why we have to recover. We have to love and recover our testimonies, that which God has done because we stood our ground, as Joe talked about today.
It's a proclamation after a victory. Number two, it's a war club to damage the enemy and his reputation. Now, here's where I want to go with this and so that you see this. David runs to the battle line. He makes his proclamation, and then he slings his stone. It hits the head of Goliath. Goliath falls. He runs. He didn't even have a sword. He runs. He pulls out Goliath's giant sword, cuts off his head. Do you know what he did with that head? You know what he did with that head? This is the coolest story ever. He did something with the head. Now we this is this is a part of this is actually a part of historical culture that that you know in Montana when we get a deer we put it on the front of the car and then we come into town and we cruise the gut purposely in the jacked up 4x4 with the mud terrain tires the 35 inches and the lift kit and the fog lights with the four point rack on the front of the hood with a little blood oozing down the hood This is what David did. You know where that came from? It came from David. It came from the mighty men. David cuts off his head, and God was doing something with this young man that actually so much of this was a messianic picture, a messianic fulfillment, a picture of the anointed one and what God would do. So much of it, God was doing stuff with them that if he didn't know what he was doing, at least he was absolutely led by the Spirit, because what he did next is he took and he made a trek with that head to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is this fortified walled city where the Jebusites live, and he takes that head and we don't know. We don't know what he did with that head. History declares that when you won a battle like this, when you took a head, you would either go hang it right near your enemy in a tree, or you would bury it near the city wall, you would do something with it. But that head would become, the what you did with that head of your enemy would become a prophetic act against that next advancement or that next enemy or that next siege that God was about to give you victory in. So this is what he does. First Samuel, read this. Look at this. This is crazy. First Samuel 17, 53. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Verse 54. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but, the, but, the, uh, but he put the weapons, Goliath's weapons, in his tent. Listen to another translation. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. Another translation. Then David took the Philistine's head, brought it to Jerusalem, but put the weapons in his tent. Now, we know he uses those weapons later. But listen to what happened here. How do you think, by the way, we get Golgotha? Where was Jesus crucified? Golgotha. By the way, the the Greek word transliterated or translated for us is Calvary. Have you heard of Calvary? Anybody sang a song about Calvary? Did you know Calvary in the Greek is the word cranium? The hill of the skull. 
Is that the coolest thing ever? K-R-A-N-E-E-O-N. It's from the word that we get cranium. Calvary, Golgotha, they're both the hill of the skull. Whose skull? Whose skull do you think it was? How do we get the word Golgotha? Goliath of Gath. Goliath of Gath. He was a Gathite. That war in the Valley of Elon, it was against the Gathites. This was Goliath of Gath. This is how we get the word Golgotha. This is how we get the word, the hill of the skull. Where was Jesus crucified? On that hill. Whose skull was under his feet as he was crucified? The skull of the giant. The skull of him who opposed the people of God. Listen to how bold this is. This young man takes the head dripping with blood. I know that sounds a little gory, doesn't it? And he goes on a trek, and he hikes to Jerusalem, and he gets there, and we don't know if he put it in a tree. We don't know if he tied it on a stick. We don't know if he, if he impaled it on a stick at the city gate. We don't know if he buried it right outside the city gate. Whatever he did, it was brazen, and it was bold, and it was to declare, this city belongs to the people of Israel, and we will have this city, and we will win this city. This is our city, and you will be overthrown. It was a declaration. Your testimony is a declaration for your next victory. Your testimony is a metaphor and a parallel and enters into what God has done for you in Jesus by overcoming your enemies. Genesis 3.15, he will bruise your heel but you will crush his head. Where do you think the crushing of his head took place? Is this amazing? It took place on the hill of the skull, on the very place where David put that head. This is what God has for you. God has you to use your testimony. Your testimony fortifies you and prepares you. There's something spiritual happening. There's something powerful happening, and it prepares you for that next victory, and it allows you to enter in to the ongoing victory that God has ordained for you in Jesus. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, we follow the story, and as soon as he's coronated as king, David's coronated as king, he says, we're going to Jerusalem. And they go and they take the city. And they yell from the wall, David's men, listen up. Even the blind and the lame cannot defeat us. And David says, it's already settled. It's already settled. It's already settled. And they go in and take the city. Your victories are tied to your testimony. Your victories are... This is why the enemy wants us to forget the good things that God has done. Number three, a testimony is bragging on the goodness of God. It's an intentional glorification of God. In the face of silence, we leave the victor in question. 
We leave room open for doubt. What was it? Was it me and my skills? You know, just all those new classes I've been taking. You know, was it probably my education? Was it that? Was it that new suit of clothes that I got? Was it? Oh, was it that vocal training? Uh, uh, was it? Was it those new shoes? Was it? If we don't acknowledge that the victory belongs to the Lord. I mean, if you read 1 Samuel 16 and 17, it is so overt, it is so crazy overt that David gives glory to God. He continues in every single victory to give glory to God. There is no doubt in his mind who has given him the victories. Listen to what he says. Listen, listen, listen to this. Do you remember this? We read it a moment ago. All who are gathered here, this is at the Valley of Elah, at the fighting line, will know it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. The battle is whose? The battle is the Lord's. A testimony is intentionally we glorify God. Let it be known. Victory is not in my stature. It's not in my education. It's not in how pretty I am, how homely I am. It's not in uh, my, my muscles or my height. It's not in all that I do well. A couple of weeks ago, I went down to Bethel for the leadership training, and we're there with a thousand pastors and leaders from all over the world, and they've got Bill and Chris and Danny up on the platform, and they're asking him questions. And, you know, it's almost, it's almost comical because they're saying, you know, people want to know how does all this happen and, and what, you know, what in the world and, you know, what should they do? And these guys, they kind of elbow each other. They, they just kind of rib each other, and they're like, we, we kind of don't know. I mean, you know, to be really honest, they said uh, it's about 95% favor and 5% skill. Did you know your life's supposed to be like that as well? The favor side of your life should be so, so amazing. The favor side should be so good that when you compare it to the skill side, you're, you're going to be like, we kind of we don't know. We just, I mean, we got to work hard to stay up with what's going on because there's so many good things going on that it takes, I mean, we just, we're working our skill hard just to stay up with all the good things that God is up to in our lives because God is doing so much good. But I really think that we don't have, we aren't entering fully into some of that testimony because we're just quiet. We're not giving glory to God. We're not naming who gets the glory. We're letting it be in question. Well, I don't know. How'd that happen? Oh, I'm not sure. You know, well, you know, the market's up. You know, well, things are hot for everybody right now. And well, it just... You just missed an opportunity to glorify God. Let's not miss an opportunity to glorify God. Maybe our personal victories, maybe our personal victories are limited by what our labor can produce because we just haven't been honoring God with this thing called the mouth. 
And so we're seeing a lot of victories. Everybody has a lot of victories. In America, all sorts of people have victories. But we're maybe not seeing those favored victories, those crazy victories, those unexplainable victories, those increased victories. Even Kevin said a couple weeks ago, he said, I don't know, it's kind of like me. Like some of the other guys, it's like they're not seeing this kind of increase. It's almost like, didn't you say something like that? I remember you saying something like that. It's like if, if you look around and you're seeing some breakthroughs in your life, and maybe it's just some believers getting breakthroughs like that. I don't know. And then you can't give glory to God. You, you need prayer. Yeah, we, need to, we just need to get something out. Whew, let it go. Because there's a victory in the Lord that goes into the realm of increase so much that it's a realm that's uncomfortable. And I think many of us will never taste of the glory or the victory at that level because we keep retaining some of the glory or we just keep silent about what God is doing. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? Can I say that again? Many of us don't and won't see those breakthroughs because we, we retain some of the glory or we just keep silent about the crazy things that God is doing. Did you know the more you make known His glory, the greater the glory appears? Because when God can trust you with glory, there's more where that came from. Did you hear me? When God can trust you with glory, there's more from where that came from. There's more. He's got more. Yes? So bragging on God is a powerful thing. And I think sometimes we let our qualifications get in the way of truly giving God all glory. Why? Because we rely upon them. Many times we let our qualifications in life, our pedigree, our background, our education, we let it get our history, our longevity, our performance. Well, I'm a hard worker. That's why it's happening. We many times let our personal qualifications get in the way of giving God full glory for breakthroughs. And then that hinders the overshadowing of a greater glory. And God said He's ordained that we would go from glory to glory. That we would go from glory to glory. Yeah? Let's stand this morning. I'm going to ask the band to come and help us. First Corinthians 14, I think this is part of why we need the body of Christ too, part of why we need one another, part of why we need fellowship like this, part of why we needed 33 things up on the cross today. Isn't it fitting that the cross represents dominion over the giants? And so we pin our testimonies to something. that means, that symbolizes dominion over giants, breakthrough into promise, breakthrough into all that Jesus has ordained for us. I think this is part of why we need each other. I needed to hear that you had 33 testimonies today. Did you know we edify each other, build each other up? When Paul talks about praying in spiritual language during their gatherings, when Paul talked about that, 
They were pretty excited about the outpouring of the Spirit. They were pretty excited in 1 Corinthians. He's writing to them, to the church at Corinth. And they were pretty excited about the outpouring of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and everything God was doing. And so, but he says to them, because they were, they were starting to function, like even in these kinds of gatherings, speaking too much in their spiritual language, the language they had received when the Holy Spirit came upon them, instead of speaking in languages that one another could understand. So this is interesting. He says as a correction in 1 Corinthians 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, and my mind is unfruitful. So what will I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you who are praising God in spirit, are there, how can someone else who's not been put in the position of the inquirer say amen to your giving of thanks since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well, but no one else is edified. This is crazy. You look at that passage. He's saying this is part of how we encourage one another with testimonies we can understand, with giving of thanks that we can understand. That when we are making known what God has done and the goodness of God and how He's intervened in our lives and how He's shown Himself rich and good, it edifies the person beside us. It edifies. It builds up. It encourages. It strengthens that one beside us. Yeah? Just bow your heads. Close your eyes with me this morning. Would you just begin to welcome the boldness of the Spirit to come in your heart? Just begin to welcome. Welcome a boldness. Welcome a boldness. Just just take a moment. I, I, I know that religion wants us to be pious. Religion wants us to be quiet. Religion wants us to be timid. It wants us to be shy. And, We'll even hear people say, you know, just keep that stuff to yourself. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants you to be overt. The Holy Spirit wants you to be noisy. The Holy Spirit wants you to be out there. The Holy Spirit wants you to be bold. The Holy Spirit loves it when you make proclamation. And He loves it when you declare what He's already done. And so, Father, we just receive boldness of You today. We receive boldness of You today. We believe that you are good. We believe you're taking the bad and bringing good out of it. That you're shifting destiny. You're shifting destiny. You're shifting destiny. That nothing can withstand, nothing can stop the good plan that you've ordained for us. That you are bringing victory out of every circumstance. You're bringing victory out of every situation. We thank you that you put our foot on the enemy that we too are those who are in the cross at Golgotha, that under our feet is Goliath. Under our feet are the enemies that would withstand. And we thank you for today in Jesus' name. Come on, let's lift up a shout this morning. We're going to praise the Lord as we go.